The following recording is from the Parramatta Christian Church pulpit series. These sermons are freely available at pcc.org.au. Foundations matter. And Jesus is telling us here, he's giving us an idea of what our foundations should be. He's saying to us that our lives must be based on, founded on, built upon his words, built upon his teaching. And that sort of, that sort of raises a question. He's saying that his, word, that his words of life, his words, are going to be the words for our life to be built upon. It raises a question for me. How do we do that? How do we live out the words of Jesus? How do we put that into practice? Living out the gospel, how do we make that happen? So that's where, that's where we're going this morning. So you've all got your Bibles open. Can we read from verse 24? And it will come up on the screen and we'll read through to the end of the chapter. <clears throat> so Jesus says, Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, yet it did not fall, because it had its foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house. And it fell with a great crash. When Jesus had finished saying these things, the crowds were amazed at his teaching because he taught as one who had authority and not as their teachers of the law. I just want to go back to 24. That's where we're going to hover. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. Can we pray? Lord God, we just thank you so much. We thank you so much for your goodness to us this morning, God. Lord, you are dwelling in this place right now, Lord, and we have just had such a a wonderful taste of heaven in worship. God, we ask that this open heaven will continue into this word, Lord God. Lord, would you give us open ears? Would you give us open eyes and open hearts today, Lord God? God, just speak in this next little while, Lord. Speak to our hearts, God, and let it not be just something that we hear. Lord, where there is need for change, let us go and do, Lord God. Let us see you more clearly this morning and what you have called us for, what you have called us to do, Lord God. That is our our heart's cry this morning. We want to be more like you, Lord God. So God, would you anoint this time in your precious name. Amen. So, everyone who hears these words of mine, Jesus starts off with. This is, this is the end of the Sermon on the Mount. This is Jesus' longest block of teaching in the whole of the Bible. It was so big, it took three chapters. It's massive. The Sermon on the Mount, if you've ever read it, is kind of like Jesus' statement on morals. Jesus' statement on ethical living. You ask anyone, and anyone who maybe doesn't even know the Bible, chances are they're going to know bits and pieces of this. Chances are they will have heard phrases like, judge not lest you be judged, or go the extra mile, turn the other cheek. The world is familiar with that. A lot of that has crept into the 
secular language, secular vernacular. Probably familiar with things like some of the Beatitudes, blessed are the poor in heart, and etc. And I'm pretty certain most people, at least in the West, will be familiar with our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name, the Lord's Prayer. But you know, as I was studying this in preparing for this message, something really occurred to me. The Sermon on the Mount goes far beyond platitudes and promises and positive things. When you dig deep, this is hard-hitting. This is really, really hard-hitting stuff. I can imagine Jesus sitting on this hillside and teaching this, and I can imagine gasping from the crowd. I can imagine murmurs among the crowd, like, what, he said that? Really? Because as we're going to see, there's a lot about the law in the Sermon on the Mount. And the law was probably seen like a high jump. You ever seen the high jump at the Olympics? I I was hopeless at that. White men can't jump, right? For some... For, for some of the younger guys, that's a, that's a really old movie. So just clearing that up. I could never clear the bar. But let me tell you, Jesus has raised the standard from a high jump to a pole vault. He's raised the standard. You know, we talk about grace and yes, we're in grace. Let me not, don't lose sight of that. But things haven't changed. If anything, Jesus is saying the standard is higher. And we'll, we'll, we'll see why in a moment. I think one of the reasons we miss what's going on in the Sermon on the Mount is possibly because of cultural context. There are a few things in there. Jesus lands into a world that is radically different from the world his father created. A world that has the law, a world that understands some of what God is saying. But as humans, this is what we do. We just tend to turn things, twist things, get things a little bit wrong. And he finds himself in a society that's not really keeping the law at all. A couple of examples. In Matthew 5, he talks about divorce and he says, you know, if anyone, uh, if anyone wants to divorce his wife, he must issue a certificate. And we look at that like, what is that about? I mean, if God forbid a marriage falls apart, you go to lawyers, there's all sorts of things we do nowadays. Those days, the society had gotten to such a point that almost everything went to the husband, all the rights were the husband's. And if he wanted to walk out of a marriage, it wasn't all that hard to do. The wife had to displease him in some way or other. And what, what am I talking about? It could be as simple as this. You remember when Jesus said, suppose a woman has 10 silver coins and loses one. Do you remember that story in Luke 15? That woman in all likelihood was married and she was wearing coins around her head. It was like a wedding ring. It was a dowry. Now, those of us who have wedding rings, we don't like losing them. You know, we don't want to do that. I was laying some turf not that long ago and I lost mine for about 48 hours thankfully. Got it. And I was searching frantically for it. But I know I was not going to have an issue in my marriage if Cheryl found out I lost my ring. I did find it, like I said. <laughs> but in those days, in those days, it was a big deal. She, had, she was walking on eggshells for a lot of her life, this poor woman. And Jesus is saying, that's not the, what I intended. That's not what I meant for your marriage. It's not about being able to walk out. And then we read about going the second mile and we think, what's that all about? If anyone asks you to walk a mile with them, what's he saying? The Romans in those days had a rule and that was, I mean, this is, you've got to think, there's no trucks, there's no trains, there's no planes. This is, you can't get things around easily. You put them on your back if we're talking, you know, even things like construction equipment, whatever. 
And the Romans, to help them on their journey, had a rule. They could ask any able-bodied person they wanted to walk a mile with them. And as you can imagine, the Jews hated this. I mean, wouldn't you? You're sitting under a tree and some soldiers say, all right, off you go, come on, walk with me a mile. I've heard it said that they could work out from just about anywhere they were how far a mile was. So the minute the mile's up, that's it, I'm done, see ya. And Jesus says, go two miles. What's that all about? It's incredible. Now, some of this, as I said, is cultural, but the principles are eternal. Don't lose sight of that this morning. The principles, which we're going to look at a few more, it's eternal. And Jesus is saying, we need to hear these words. We need to hear what he is saying to us in all of these situations in our life. However, it's not just enough to hear. Jesus didn't say everyone who hears these words of mine is a wise builder. He said everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice. How often do you and I hear good advice and then we fail to take it? How often does it happen? I mean, someone tells you you should take this job or you shouldn't take this job. You should buy that investment. Stay away from that food. Stay away from the TV shopping. No one's going to put their hand up on that one this morning, are they? Come on, I know you've done it. There are many that hear, but don't do. I read that apparently Mahatma Gandhi, the Indian uh, independence leader, loved the Sermon on the Mount, but he was a hearer. He didn't worship Jesus. He didn't let it become part of him. He was a hearer and not a doer. If we're going to... Because, see, that's... That's the foolish builder. We think that the foolish builder might be the world. Not necessarily. Because it says the foolish builder hears the words. But doesn't necessarily do anything about it. Jesus doesn't call us just to hear. He calls us to act. He calls us to take what he's saying. If we're going to build our lives like that house that's on the rock, that's immovable, we've got to act. We've got to do something about this. Now... We're talking a lot about the words. What are the words? What's he saying? We're going to just fly through some of these so you don't have to flick to it. In chapter 5, Jesus says about murder. He says, you've heard it said, you shall not murder. But I say, if you think with hate, if you have an issue with your brother, you're in danger of the fires of hell. See what I'm saying? High jump to pole vault. This is changing. And he even talks about, you know, if you're going to offer something and you have something against your brother, you've got to sort it out. Obviously, that wasn't happening in those days. Hey, there's times it doesn't happen nowadays. We harbor a grudge. And Jesus says, no, you've got to forgive. You've got to move on. You've got to let it go. You've got to let it go, let it go. You've got to forgive. Apologies to the parents with little girls. That's going to drive you nuts all day. I just know it. And he talks about adultery. And he says, you've heard it said, don't commit adultery. But I say, if you look with lust, suddenly, whoa, now we've got a problem. We've got a problem. You've heard it said, you can hate your enemies, but I say, no, you've got to love them. You've got to love them. You can't just go on and say, I'm going to love my friends, but stuff the rest of them. No, 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 no. It's deeper than that. Chapter 6, he talks about the 
the Pharisees and the, 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 the hypocrites who make such a big deal about their giving or make such a big deal about their praying or their fasting and look so holy and whatever. And he says, don't let the left hand know what the right hand's doing. In our day, he might say, don't let your Instagram followers know what your right hand is doing. Who knows? Who knows? I don't know. Maybe. But what he's saying is your deeds, don't show them off because God is looking to your heart. God is looking within. Let him be your reward. And then in chapter 7, we move through to, you know, you want to take a speck out of someone else's eye, but you've got a log in your own. You've got a plank in your own. How can you see? And we finish up with being known by fruit. What's in our heart is going to manifest in what we do and what we say and our attitude. Do you see a common thread through all of this? I've just flown through the three chapters. Can you see a common thread from start to finish? It's no longer about the actions. It's about the motivations. It's about the desires. It's about the heart. God is looking to our heart. God is not just looking to what we do. He's looking about the attitude behind what we do. He's looking to what is your motivation? In Psalm 51... David writes this prayer of repentance, this amazing prayer after you got caught out in, in adultery. And listen to what he says. He says that, God, you desire truth in the inward parts. See, this is not new. This is not Jesus coming on and, and radically ch- Jesus just realigning everything. This has been God's heart from the start. The message, that's what you've got up there, says truth from the inside out. See, they'd lost the plot. They thought it was about law-keeping, and Jesus is saying, listen, I don't want you breaking the law, but it's not about your hands. It's about your heart. It's not about just doing things and saying things and being looking good in society. No, I see what's within you. Not just doing good when people are watching. You know, like when you drive down the road and you see the, the speed camera or the police radar gun, and of course you slow down, and yeah, we've all done it. I know, I do. But being people of integrity, people that no matter who's watching, no matter who's around, we're consistent. We're people that don't steal, that don't cheat time off our boss, that don't tell little white lies, that don't gossip. People that are consistent no matter who is around. Now, some of you might be hearing this and you might be thinking, okay, Andrew, we've got a problem here. And I say, yeah, we do. We've got a big problem here because this isn't just a case of go and do. I know Jesus is saying, put my words into practice, but it's not just as simple as go and do this. This is not Nike, just do it. I'll tell you why. Because religions just do it. Every Hindu knows that being good gets him good karma. Every Buddhist knows that being good is part of the eightfold path. Every Muslim knows that giving to charity is one of the five pillars. Every religion, I'm telling you, they know about doing good. It's not enough. We may be able to keep our hands from sin. We may be able to do good works here and there. But keeping this bridled, keeping the heart under control, that's a totally different ballgame. That's a completely different thing. We can't just do it. We cannot And if you're in any doubt about what I'm saying, Jesus says earlier in the Sermon on the Mount, he says, your your righteousness must be better than the Pharisees. Now, 
the Pharisees were the best at keeping the law. They were, at least from a legalistic point of view, they were the moral police. And he's saying, you've got to do better than that, guys. Why? Because it's not about the physical keeping of the law. It's about the heart that's within us. And we know, we know the heart is wicked. We know the heart is against God. So we have a problem. I mean, you look at it. How long is it before we tell a lie, even a white lie? How long is it before we have an issue with our brother or sister? How long is it before we lust? How long is it before we break an oath? I mean, come on, we can't even drive half a day legally. Seriously. What hope is there for us? What hope is there for me? What hope is there for you? Well, church, I have good news. I have good news. The wise man builds his house on the rock. I want you to notice that carefully. The wise man's house isn't standing because of the house. The wise man's house isn't standing because of the wise man's skill. It's standing because it's built on a rock. It's standing because of the foundation that it's on. See, it doesn't depend on him. It doesn't depend on what he has done. And in the same way, you and I, we have an ability to have a renewed heart and a renewed mind, but it doesn't come from you and me. Because if it was up to us, we'd be stuck. We'd have no hope. But thanks be to God, he has made the way. If you, and again, this is not new. Ezekiel, Ezekiel, we're talking 500 years or so before Jesus says this amazing statement. He tells us that God is going to give us a new heart and put a new spirit in us. I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. That is the key. That is the way you're going to see Jesus' words fulfilled in your life. We can't do it without this. But the day you were saved, God took your heart of stone out of you and he put a heart of flesh inside of you. You know what that means? New heart, new spirit, new desires, new longings, new motivations. That's what God has put within you. That's what he's put within me. These words of Jesus, church, I hope you're getting it this morning. The words of Jesus are not good advice. I mean, they are, but it's more than that. They are words of life. They are life giving. They are life transforming. If you've missed all that I've said, I want you to hear this next phrase, and it's going to be on the overhead. I want you to hear this, and I hope it's on your eyelids as you go to sleep tonight. For us to live out the words of Jesus, in order to live out His words, the words of Jesus must first come alive in us. It's not just about us keeping His words. His words have got to do a work in our heart. And what is that? It's the gospel. To live out the gospel, the gospel's got to live in us. It's the, the finished work of Jesus on the cross. We've been talking about it. We've been singing about it. That's got to come alive in your heart and my heart. Otherwise, we can forget all of this. It's not going to happen. This is why humans, we have a tendency to perform. We have a tendency to, this is, this is what I've got to do. Religion takes it a step further. It says you've got to conform. There's a certain standard, if you like. We've all got to get to this point. But this is where the gospel comes in. It doesn't, it's not worried about performing. It's not worried about conforming. Its job is transforming. Its job is a new heart. Its job is something, putting something new in you so you can do this. Because I don't want to obey the words of Jesus if I'm not, I've got a new spirit in me. It's just not in my DNA. But I've got a new DNA now. You've got a new DNA now. You and I have this in us. This is our God. 
This is the God that loves us so much, that would do this for us. Many of you are probably familiar with a guy called Oswald Chambers. And if you're not, he was an author in the 19th and early 20th century, I think. Brilliant, brilliant devotional mind this guy had. There's a quote I want to share with you. He talks about this very thing, and it sums it up so beautifully. He says, The teachings of Jesus, what we're looking at today, the teachings of Jesus are all out of proportion when compared to our natural way of looking at things. And they come to us initially with astonishing discomfort. I don't know about you, but as I'm, even as I was saying those earlier things in the message, I'm feeling uneasy hearing it, knowing that it's about my heart and not about my actions. But he goes on, the Sermon on the Mount is not a set of rules and regulations. It is a picture of the life we will live when the Holy Spirit is having his unhindered way in us. I don't know about you, I love that. His way unhindered, nothing blocking him. I don't know if you caught what Hillary was saying earlier in, in, in the worship. God wants to have his way in us, but he's not going to do it forcibly. He's not going to just kick you around. The Holy Spirit is a gentleman. He wants all of you. He wants his unhindered way in you. But we've got to come to a point where we say, I yield. I give it over to you, God. All that we do is built upon Jesus. Now, do you know what I mean when I mean all? I mean all. Not a trick question. I mean everything. Everything that we have in our lives laid on the altar. Because otherwise, otherwise, when we don't do that, this is in effect what we're saying to God. Imagine those of you who are married or considering marriage and you say to your significant other, you know, darling, I, I love you. I really enjoy your company. But, you know, there's this person I just ran into the other day who I met 20 years ago. And, you know, we've sort of hit it off again. You don't mind if I spend a couple of days with them every month, do you? A few weeks in the year. You don't mind that. We would never even dream of saying that to our partner. But we do it to God too often. The sad truth is we do it to God so often. And I know I do. I'm sure you do. When God is at work in us, in all of us, when he has all of us, unhindered, then we will see good works coming from us. We will be living out his words because his words are at work in our hearts. Now flip that around. When God's work is done, in, is doing his work in you, when the gospel's alive in you, you won't want to do anything but honor him. I don't know about you, but the older I get and the closer I draw to God, I think, God, I really want... He's putting his heart in my heart. He's giving me his desires, his longings. I want to please you, God. I want to honor you. You've done so much for me. You moved heaven and earth so I could live. You gave me life. You gave me breath. You gave me my family. We'd be here all day if we listed the blessings. It's not too much for me to give back to him. And so the more that that happens, the older I get, that's what I want. When the power of the gospel is in us, that's when the words of life come out of us in our actions. And we are known by our fruit, like Jesus said. What's in our hearts is known in our hands and in our words. And notice Jesus says, he, he doesn't finish there. He goes on to say that this house is not immune to problems either. 
this house is still involved in the same storm. He goes on to say that the rains come down. The streams rose up. The winds blew and they beat against that house. This sounds like a cyclone. This sounds terrible. The storms will come, but the house stands because of Jesus. See, we do a disservice to people and we do a disservice to the gospel. We say, God's going to make your life better. Now listen, your life will be better because you'll have new priorities. You'll have a new heart. But too often I think we think Christianity is a get out of jail free card. If anything, I feel like Christianity is a do not pass, go, do not collect $200 card. Seriously, like, it's just the way it is. We don't, we don't avoid suffering. We don't avoid life storms. But the difference is this. We will withstand them because our feet are on solid rock. Our lives have been placed and our faith is not going to crumble. I think of Psalm 1 when I hear this. The tree planted by streams of water whose leaf is, is in season and it doesn't wither. The fruit is in season. Its leaf doesn't wither. That's God's plan for you. That's God's plan for me. Is it because of us? No. Jesus. It's because of Jesus. So why do the storms come? I won't take too much longer. The storms come, they, well, they, they test us. They're not here to kill us. God's looking after us. But I'll tell you what they do do. They teach us what really does matter. How often have you faced a personal crisis of one sort or another and you think, man, I shouldn't have done this or I shouldn't have done that or, or I'm wasting too much time on, on whatever. You know what I find? You, you, it could be anything. It could be a loss of a job. It could be poor health, loss of a loved one. I, I could go all day. When these things happen, when it hits the fan, proverbially speaking, we start to analyze what really matters. Is it really my home? Is my home such a castle anymore? My WRX or whatever's in your garage is, you know, the, the drop into fourth gear, that's not such a thrill anymore. Your smartphone isn't your companion like it once was. And you find your Facebook friends are not really the kind of friends that will walk a mile with you. You start to realize what matters. I lost a job almost five years ago and we were building our family at the time. We had a, a baby on the way and it was a real scary time. I wish I could tell you I was a trophy of grace. I was not. I can tell you that. But I know this, God sustained. And it, and it helped, me, helped me, helped us, I think, as a family, really just realize, no, 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 there are some things that matter and there's some things that don't, that really don't. We might be shaken, but our feet are not going to move because the foundation will not shake. Jesus is not moved by the cares of this world. He's not moved by the weather. He's not moved by the stock market. He's not moved whether Trump or anybody else is president of the free world. Who cares? God's in control. We will stand firm when all around us is shaking. The foundation is sure. That's what Jesus wants our lives upon, this gospel, this amazing gospel. Church, this is the standard this is the standard that he has called us to. And this is why I said it's no longer high jump. It's pole vault in your strength. In God's strength, it's possible. In, by God's spirit, by God doing a work within our hearts, that's how it's possible. And see, this is, this is the thing. The standard is no longer obeying the law. The standard is no longer just keeping these laws. But hearts that are set on him. 
your heart and my heart now, these hearts of flesh, no longer stone, set on God, changed by his gospel, changed by the grace of Jesus, and alive with these life-giving words. That's how we please God. Now, let me tell you this, just to close this off. Can you see that this is also attractive to the world? This is something that the world will find attractive when they see it really playing out. Because they're used to, I guess, people, and Christians were human, it happens, they're used to people being double-minded. They're used to people being temperamental. And as far as the church is concerned, their sort of idea is almost judgment. You know, with, with right intentions, for a long time, all they've seen is this, people, you know, pointing fingers at sin. And that's not, don't mishear me, when sin is there, we've got to call it out. That's not what I'm saying. But rather than that, what Jesus is looking to build in us is to becoming a people that just so radiates a holy God, a loving God, a compassionate God. The world isn't looking for critical, sour Christianity. They're looking for a church that is compassionate. They're looking for a church that is set on love, a church that has strength in the battles, in the storms, because they're facing them too. It's not like they're immune either. We're all facing life storms and they're looking for strength. They're looking for solidarity. When they see in us that life today is not so great, but I'm going to stand on the word. I'm going to stand on what Jesus has put in my heart. At some point or another, they will notice, they'll see your evenness. They'll see your lack of temperamentalness and, and your lack of judgment or whatever. And they'll say, I want that. I need that. Because I know my own heart is back and forth, up and down like the stock market. And so church, as we draw this to a close, where are you this morning? Where do you find yourself? Are some of you identifying with the wise builder this morning? If you are, that's fantastic. That's so, so good. Others of you, you might be identifying with a foolish builder this morning. I've got a feeling a lot of us are identifying somewhere in the middle. I've got a feeling that while some of us have done this in part, we haven't done it fully. There are areas of our lives that haven't been handed to God. The gospel hasn't been able to do its work in there. And you're not quite able to say, on Christ the solid rock I stand. All other ground is sinking sand. You can't quite say that with conviction. This morning, as we bring this to an end, can we just take a moment in the presence of our King, in the presence of our Savior, just to let His Holy, just to let the Holy Spirit do His work and speak to our hearts. Lord, would you show us, Lord, what is it that hasn't been yielded to you yet? God, we don't want to walk away from this place with something between us and you, God. God, our lives belong, our feet belong on the solid rock, Lord God. All of our lives, every part of us belongs there. Would you show us, God, if there's something that's not right? Would you just open our hearts this morning, right here, right now in this place, Lord God? Because God, we want to be immovable because we are on you. We want to be a beacon for the world around us. We want to be a shining light so people look at us and want what we have. Because it's all about you and the work you have done. 
Jesus, do a work in this place. Spirit of God, work in this place. Open our hearts, Lord God.